Hello, and welcome back to Girls Like You, the premier Barbie movie review podcast. This week's title is Barbie of Swan Lake from 2004. I, Lily, will kick it off with the plot summary. We start with the frame story. Again, why? Uh, Barbie and Kelly, or as she's called in this film for some reason, Shelly, are at camp. Kelly is nervous about a swimming race she has the next day and can't sleep. Barbie decides to tell her the story of Odette from Swan Lake. Then we cut to the actual story. Uh, Our main character, Odette, played by Barbie, works at her family bakery but longs to dance. And there's a little bit of uh, omnipotent intervention from Kelly changing uh, her favorite cookies from snickerdoodles to chocolate chip. Her family consists of a very uh, ill-looking father and a cool, adventurous sister. And as fun as these characters are, they are never important again until briefly at the end of the film. Uh, Then we cut to the castle. The nerdy but hunky Prince Daniel is told that he must pick a bride to marry. We get to see him with his mom, the queen. Cut back to the village. A unicorn is loose on the streets and goes galloping by the bakery. She's being chased by some men who want to uh, hunt her, which is a a common theme in the film. The prince hunts, the villagers hunt. Various hijinks and cartoonish uh, property destruction ensue until uh, Odette helps her escape and follows her into the aptly named Enchanted Forest. The unicorn, whose name is Lila, uh, gets caught in a bush in the forest because she had a little bit of net debris stuck to her from the village. Uh, Odette tries to help her and spots a crystal lodged in a rock and, like the mythical King Arthur, retrieves it to cut her free. The forest people emerge, astonished. The fairy queen tells her that she alone can stop the evil sorcerer Rothbart who's been plaguing the forest. Who is Rothbart? You soon find out. We'll cut to a flashback where uh, Rothbart and the fairy queen are revealed to be cousins. He vowed to destroy her and take over uh, the forest when she was picked to rule it. So he's been slowly stealing her magic and attacking uh, her helpful fairies and elves. The forest elves are played by children, but they talk and act like adults, which is kind of weird. But now uh, they're turned into animals during the day, but turn into people who wear clothing that is reminiscent of their animal personalities at night. Or they can dance and do fairy things. That's what the fairy queen has been able to do to combat Rothbard's attacks. They tell Odette that she's been chosen to stop him since she was the only one able to retrieve the crystal from the rock, but she's scared to help and initially says she can't help them and is going to go back to her village. But when she tries to leave the forest, she is attacked by Rothbart and his annoying daughter, Odile. (laughs) Does she come in at this point yet? Um, There as well. She's not really relevant to the plot until later, but... She is turned into a swan, and like the other um, forest people, is cursed to only be human at night, which is she's only allowed to do because of the fairy queen's magic. Uh, in order to try and reverse the spell and stop Rothbart for good, uh, Odette and Lila go to meet the allegedly scary troll who lives in the forest uh, named Erasmus. And when they get there, he seems really scary, but turns out he's just a friendly guy and uh, pretends to be scary and eat human flesh to get people to stay away from him. Uh, He's also a magic librarian, and they agrees to help them and search for the book that they need that will tell them how to defeat Rothbart once and for all. They spend all night searching, but can't seem to find the right book. 
which we ironically see as the camera pans away, has been uh, resting on the stool that Erasmus uses to reach books the whole time. Gosh, that's that rascal. We cut away from the cabin. They're just hang. All the animals are hanging out in the forest again. Prince Daniel has been lured into the forest by Rothbart uh, to unwittingly murder Odette because Rothbart can't attack her because of the crystal. But he realizes a human could kill the the magic swan. Prince Daniel plans to shoot down the swan, but is too captivated by the beauty of a Oops. bird to kill her. Well, luckily for him. Uh, she immediately turns into a beautiful woman as the sun has begun to set and is able to protect him from being attacked by Rothbart. Over the course of that evening, they fall in love and dance together, and he invites her to his birthday ball the next night. Finally, the next morning, Erasmus finds the book and learns that Rothbart can be defeated by only true love. But if Daniel falls for another girl, Odette will die after the crystal loses its magic. Why would she not just remain a swan forever? Who knows? But apparently it will kill her. Yay. Odette and the Fairy Queen practice their ballet in the, with the other forest creatures and Erasmus to celebrate Odette attending the prince's ball that night. Uh, but Rothbart shows up, kidnaps Erasmus, and steals the book. Uh, in his tower, we see that he has turned Erasmus into a worm to be eaten by his evil raven and crow compatriots. But Erasmus is rescued by Odette. At the ball, Rothbart and Ordeal show up, uh, and Rothbart uses his magic to disguise Odile as Odette. She dances silently with the prince so as to not give away that she is not actually Odette. Odette tries to warn him in swamp form that he is dancing with someone who is not her, but she's too late, and he pledges his love to Odile before she can alert him that it's not actually her. Odette collapses outside of the palace. Rothbart goes to take the crystal from her, uh, but the fairy queen arrives in time to rescue Odette. Rothbart follows in hot pursuit. Uh, they crash land in the enchanted forest clearing where they've been living, and the queen tries to stop him, but he turns her into a mouse. Shortly after that, the prince arrives to confront Rothbart, but he is also knocked unconscious along with Odette. They were trying to protect each other. They collapse, holding hands. The crystal recognizes their true love from this holding of hands and explodes its magic onto Rothbart, seemingly destroying him. They both wake up and embrace. Cut to the engagement party in the forest. Finally, we see her uh, Odette's family back again. Their dad is very strange and awkward presence in this film. Um, we think that might be the end of the story, but there's a little bit left. We cut to uh, Rothbart's castle and see that he is now a uh, the bird in a cuckoo clock, forced to you know go flying out once an hour. And Odile is forced to work in the palace as a maid for Erasmus. Very depressing ending for those two characters. Um, finally, we cut back to camp. Kelly finally finds the courage to participate in her swim race the next day from that inspiring story and agrees to go to bed. And then the film ends. Nice. Wow. I was nervous about that. You did great. You did great, sweetie. That was Thank you. I just, and I've been saying this for the last couple films, but we also watched The Princess Bride last night. And it's got me thinking, what is the point of framing stories? Like, I think ostensibly what you're supposed to do with them is use it, like have the character learning a lesson from the interior story. 
Um, you know, usually the framing story is some sort of like a parent reading a book to a child, or in this case, like Barbie telling Kelly a story, and the story is supposed to teach them a lesson. But what what lesson is Kelly supposed to be learning that's going to make her brave for her swim race from this that film? Courage is important, and you can do anything. But the only time Odette is ever courageous, I guess, after she helps uh, Lila the unicorn escape, is when she has her crystal and like steps in front of things. She does. She just does a lot of stepping in front of things. She just steps. She just happens to step into the right yeah. direction. Well, and. Oh, right. Well, when they, when Daniel and like Odette like sacrifice each other or whatever, they, um, he's like, Daniel's like, no, you don't have the crystal because it like explodes or it's like dead, right? So I guess that was like the big epitome of like the, the courage. Like the fact that Odette sacrificed herself without the crystal. But I don't know, you know? Wow. It was like the true love aspect. And how is that going to help Kelly win her swim? Kelly, a <laughs> child just trying to win. Barbie, I think at this point we can establish is not a good sister. We're not a useful sister. Like she's just not, she's like, Kelly, I just don't understand your human problems. Nothing bad ever happens to me. So let me just tell you what I think works. And then Kelly's like, Thanks, Barbie. I, I guess this was useful. It, it, it was a little weird how specific you went into detail that the main characters of all these stories look just like you. It's like, Kelly, she's tall and beautiful and thin and blonde. And, you know, she looks just like me. And she's just magical. And everyone falls in love with her. She's like, okay. She's the most uh, beautiful woman and bird that Prince Daniel has ever, ever seen. Did. Anybody will ever see. I she like, takes like, you know, an hour and a half to describe an anecdote that could really be remedied by like a 10 minute thing but she's like no for another two hours so I can just tell you this is all just a vanity project for Barbie at this point well we uh of course need to point out that again we find some famous uh voices in our film oh yeah tons of tons of famous voices here uh, there's, of course, uh, Kelsey Grammer, a uh, very famous actor, uh, plays the villain Rothbart and uh, very well. But also Maggie Wheeler plays his daughter, Odile. Now, that name might sound like kind of familiar. You might not know where you know her from. She played Janice. Oh. My. God. On Friends. And she uses the same annoying voice uh, to voice the role of Odile. <laughs> I'm a Janice stan, and I'm an Odile stan, so. Yeah, Odile deserved better. Odile deserved better, and Janice deserved better. Every, Maggie Wheeler in general deserved better. Odile uh, tends to, to settle for, you know, helping with her father's evil schemes and just in exchange for jewelry, but I really think she should focus on finding someone who will love her for who she is instead of dressing up like the, the beautiful, blonde, wayfish Barbie. <laughs> She's beautiful the way she has her looks in this entire film. They they serve like those huge shoulder pads. They're gorgeous. He's got a gorgeous silhouette, a cool mullet. I love Odile. But it's not just any mullet. It's like a 360 mullet <laughs> where like it's layered up in the top and the front. And well, like the somehow she makes it work, you know? Like most people couldn't make it work, but she, it, she looks great. She has some non-traditional Eurocentric beauty features and she's gorgeous. Oh. Queen. I always thought that she had, like, feathers for hair, but now I'm just realizing that it's, like, badly animated hair. It's a little greasy looking. <laughs> a little gre- 
Okay, Barbie hair is never good. They can't. They have yet to figure out the hair formula. One oh my day. gosh! This one and this one for me, it was the worst hair. Was the hair from the frame story, which should just be like normal hair, right? Oh, no, but Barbie's ponytail. It like looks like she's made like a scrunchie of her own hair or done some sort of like chignon that has like a ponytail coming out of it. And like, I think the idea is like, it's one of those ponytails where you take out a little piece of hair and wrap it around so you can't see the ponytail holder, but it looks like a hip donut made of hair stuck to the back of her head with the ponytail coming out of it. Yikes. Yeah, that's not good at all. You know what, Lily, for your next birthday, so... In 364 days, <laughs> um, I'm gonna get you a donut with hair, on it, you know, like that's a hair, but covered in hair that's your color. Hey, um, wait, wasn't that a thing though? Like in tw- 2012, like the hair donut, like it's what you would put on your head and then you like wrapped your hair. Oh, yeah, it. yeah, I it was, was in a competition right? dance, so everyone had a donut, and everyone's that's like, I thought. Just associate like I had just made that up. Like I want a hair done it wrapped in hairless my color with a big fake ponytail coming out the back. Like I got this on Amazon. I can get yeah, you one. Ariana Grande. Okay. Well, we're kind of on the subject of like bad animation. I really want to talk about <laughs> Erasmus. The troll. I mean, we've kind of established in Rapunzel that like mammals tend to look bad in this universe and like reptiles can be kind of okay so as a troll he's kind of in between so it's not great but it's acceptable but then when he gets turned into a worm it's just the most terrifying lumpy little thing with his gross face on a little like lumpy caterpillar body yeah no for me and he just like wiggles around and he like but he still has little arms (laughs) so it's like it's so gross it's so gross Okay, so in addition to having uh, two famous voices in this film, uh, and of course we also have Mark Hildreth returning uh, to voice another Barbie prince. He'll do quite a few of those. The London Symphony Orchestra returns to do the score. They just can't quit. They love Barbie. Yeah, for these first couple ones, they really balled out. And then I'm pretty sure after the first three or four Barbie films, they switched to the Czech Symphony Orchestra, which is also great. I'm fascinated by these, like, there's so many random, like, symphony orchestras from around the world that do, like, movie scores for, like, animated and, like, I guess, like, live action films, too. Like, it just seems like a fun, a fun life to be a symphony orchestra member. You're never going to know what you're going to be playing next and for what, uh, like, property. It's exciting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, you can do a lot of, uh, a lot of music pretty quickly and then say, oh, I play music for this and this and this. That's pretty, pretty wild. wild. They live a wild life. Yeah. Very cutthroat, very intense, but wild. <laughs> like Mozart in the Jungle taught us. hundred percent. Like you wanted to know who wanted to play the, the first chair for all these pieces in the Barbie movie. They knew that this was their big break. They had to cut, like people got hurt. Okay. <laughs> I don't think they literally break. cut them. No, they literally cut them bows against necks, buddy. Like I'm getting that flute solo. I will have the flute solo. <laughs> And like what you do, like it, it's very, it's such, it's, you know, you would think that the more black swan elements would be within the physical actor sphere, but no, really it's going on with um, the orchestra. Very intense. Behind the scenes. <laughs> I think I would like Barbie as black swan and just have her, like, I want us to redo black swan for Barbie. That's all I could think this entire film. Yeah. 
Of course, yes. uh, this film is also based on a ballet, Swan Lake. It's pretty famous. And I can't help but compare its aspects to The Nutcracker, which was, again, based on a ballet. And I think the music just... I don't want to say it lacks because the music is beautiful and, of course, it's played by the very famous and talented members of the London Symphony Orchestra. But I think one of the big problems with music in this film is that with Nutcracker, there's a lot of, like, kind of famous themes. There's all the um, different, like, dessert food country dances from, like, the second act of the Nutcracker, which come in during the big finale sequence. There's um, the dance of the sugar plum fairy, the snowflakes dance, the waltz of the flowers. Like, those are all songs that maybe you don't know what their names are, but when you hear them come in in the Nutcracker film, you recognize them. And then with Swan Lake, you basically only recognize the swan theme. So we hear it, like, five Five, six, ten, twenty, I don't know how many times. We hear the swan theme so much in this movie because it's the most recognizable, but it does get a little repetitive, I think, after a while. Yeah, it's like the interlude for like every scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like it's hard not to compare it to Nutcracker because they're both like ballet movies that came around the same time. I think are they the only ones? I mean there's like Twelve Dancing Princesses, but that's not based off of a ballet. Right? No, I think they're the only ones. Yeah, that are like real ballets. Um, yeah. But anyway, but like, I felt like the dance numbers were like really good. Um, I appreciated the Four Little Swans. It's the most iconic like dancing of the show, I think, when like, you know, the four people are holding hands and it's like, dun 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 dun. Yeah. Again, could you do that again? You need to see my arms too. We're on the same side. The arms are really good. But I actually like learned it when I was in dance, which is actually kind of like surprised I did because I'm not from like a classical ballet background. When I heard it, I was like, ooh, I I remember this. um, (laughs) And also like comparing it to Nutcracker, I feel like the dances were like not as spread out as the Nutcracker. Like the Nutcracker seemed like the dancing was more integrated. But then in this one, they're like, oh, you're going to a ball. We need to teach you how to dance. And then they danced for like five minutes and then like a little bit here and there, but like not as well integrated. Though I think that they were fun and they're like good dances. And then like the little like the skunk had like a little Spanish dance. And then the porcupine had a little like Russian dance. So those are always fun. But yeah, so dancing was good. But I feel like they could have like integrated up a little bit more. I get that. Yeah, I would just say, again, another reason why I'm not a huge fan of this film, I think that, like, compared to previous films, uh, the sets and the animation and all that has been developed a lot more. Like, the backdrops didn't feel so weird or sticky and the plants looked a lot better, all that kind of stuff. But I just feel like it has less plot or less of, like, an overall plot that really makes sense compared to the Nutcracker film and the Barbie Rapunzel which is funny because when you examine those films, the plot doesn't really hold up much either. There is no plot. Well, there is, but it's shaky. But yeah, that's like, I don't know. Like, I think it's just so, so strange. Like, I think we talked about this, like, when we were doing our pre-setup, but, like, compared to, like, Rapunzel, right, which I would, I feel like I kind of would put these two, like, level-wise, like, if there was a tier, they'd be in the same tier in my mind. It's, like, Rapunzel just kind of 
made its own movie and then added the Rapunzel elements to this. Whereas Swan Lake tried to be really, really close to a very dark ballet that wasn't made for ch- like you know <laughs> children. But then because they had to change things up, it just ended up feeling really odd. Whereas I think if they had done what they had done with Rapunzel and just called it Swan Lake and had the basic premise of Barbie turns into Swan at in morning and nice boy dances with her at night, then and added extra stuff that could have maybe just been like slightly better. I don't know. That's my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah, just like sticking too closely to the plot of any ballet doesn't really make sense for a movie. I mean, looking at countless Nutcracker adaptations over the years, they always have to add their own elements or go back to the original like story that inspired the ballet. Because, I mean, ballets are driven by art and yeah. feeling and emotion, and they're not so much driven by like this thing yeah. happens, which triggers this thing to happen, you know? And you can, ballets in general are just like kind of abstractions, I always feel like, as of a story. Like, you, you get what's going on, but it's not like the clearest narrative. Like, if you were watching like a play or a movie, it's very much you're making your own, you know, you're just, you're, you know, I, I don't always go to Swan Lake because I want to know the story of Swan Lake. I go because it's a really pretty piece of art to watch. And then also there is a loose narrative that you follow with the dancing Whereas I feel with like, which is why ballets just shouldn't be turned into film because they're just such like polar opposite narrative styles that they just know. Or you just have to add a lot more or you story to, to them. It ends up making it very convoluted because that's what's nice about ballet. They're kind of like deceptively complicated. Like you think, like if you just kind of look at the Nutcracker, you're like, oh, there's a lot going on. But really it's a really simple story being told. Clara has a fever dream, hangs out with a nutcracker, fights a mouse king, goes to a land of candy, and everyone dances. You know, then it's just better if you just don't add too much in between. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you end up with rock monsters attacking people. Exactly. Um, another thing that we thought was kind of interesting about this film, which we found out after some digging, is that it was nominating for the Outstanding Youth DVD category for the 8th um, exactly. Annual Satellite Awards. <laughs> The most prestigious award you can maybe get. I don't know. I think it's definitely the most prestigious award that a Barbie movie would be eligible yeah. for. I did not find any other history of these awards. Like, I, they seem to be fairly prolific. Like, they've had 22 of them. And I'm not 100% sure what they're celebrating. But they're fabulous. But it didn't win. And you, drumroll please, what movie did it lose to? <laughs> Lion King, the platinum edition of the Lion King, not its original release, the re-release, which I mean, fair. Yeah, and some of the other nominees were Finding Nemo, it's a very merry puppet Christmas movie, Itty Bitty Hearts, and Hooves of Fire. Which we Yeah, one of these things is not like the other. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we have to make a separate podcast just about strange Christmas films that we've just discovered. (laughs) Because I can talk for hours about a movie I haven't even seen called Hooves of Fire, which I think maybe goes back to the main issue with the fact that none of us really want to talk about Barbie Swan Lake. Because, like, there's just not much there. Like, what is... I mean, it's it's fine. Like, I feel like the people... Like, again, like I'm more intrigued by the stuff we kind of retcon into it than what's actually going on. Like, I enjoy Rothbard and O'Deal more than I care about Odette. And the, the and the unicorn who I forgot was in this film until you reminded me about it while we were making notes for this. Like when you all were talking about a unicorn, I'm like what is this unicorn? Where was there a unicorn in this movie? 
And there is one, but she just didn't matter. Yeah, the only she's used as a plot device to get Odette into yeah. the forest. And then she's kind of there after that. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah, her whole character doesn't really make sense because they start off. And again, this is maybe some problem with the tone of the film. Like they start off with this whole like really long, quiet scene of Odette, like following the unicorn into the yeah. forest. It's very magical, very serene. The music is gorgeous there. And then all of a sudden, once they get into the forest, she can talk and she's like this wise cracking sound alike of Penelope from the last film. And she's also purple. It kind of looks like Penelope. I think maybe all of Barbie's sidekicks are just purple uh, when they're magical. Who knows? Um, but she's got like this kind of snarky thing at first. And you're like, oh, she's better about not being the chosen one. She wanted to be the one to save the forest. And then it just never comes up again. Like her character makes little impact on the film, except she like drives the carriage in the last scene to help rescue Odette. So I guess she can come with like the, the playset, right? Yeah, exactly. Like she was a, very much a playset character. Like we need something for Barbie to be able to ride on when they buy this doll. So we need someone to pull the Swan Lake carriage. Exactly. Yeah, another plot thing that we kind of, like, I never really realized until we were prepping was that Daniel invites her to his ball, right? And, but she, he knows very well and good that she's a swan, because that's how we first saw her, was a swan, right? And then so he's like, come to my party. And she's like, but I'm a swan. He's like, well, I don't really care. So just come. Um, But when she shows up to the ball during the day, he's not like, Put out by it. He's not weirded out. He's not like, wait, I thought you were a swan at the day in the daytime. But you know, and she just doesn't talk. She doesn't respond. And he's like, accompanied by a weird older man who's talking for her. Like, I feel like Daniel is just such an interesting character study of like. I think he's maybe the oddest of these early Disney movie like love interests because he just is so weird like he just seems really into the fact at the beginning that Odell uh, dead is a bird he's like this is the most beautiful swan I've ever seen and she's also a lady that's right boys Daniel finally got himself a bird wife that his mother will approve of <laughs> and he's like there's the weird subplot of him getting a square globe and he's like "Ooh, I'm gonna travel the world with my bird wife and I just I don't understand Daniel yeah he like he starts off like kind of interesting you're like oh maybe he's gonna be more developed like he oh. wanted he doesn't want to get married right when he turns 18 he wants to travel the world and his mom is like, well, you can get married and then travel the world. He's like, I guess we'll get married then. And then he gets a square globe delivered where it's, I guess it's supposed to be like a flat earth thing where like just the top is the, the world and then you can fall off the edge. There's actually a um, a funny line that um, the servant who delivers it to him is like, danger at every corner. And then <laughs> I'm sorry, this is just got corners. <laughs> Daniel is great. Like, if just like out of context, Daniel, if you just strip him away of the rest of the film, he's just a boy who wants a square globe. He doesn't want to marry a normal girl. Oh no, he went, wants to marry a hot bird. But then also, when even though he understands the rules of that bird's birdiness, <laughs> he doesn't question the fact that she just appears at a ball with a strange older man and doesn't say a word in the middle of the day. I just, Daniel, no. 
Daniel. And then once he gets the girl, he forgets all about traveling. He's like, eh. he's like, I need it anyway. Happy with my square globe. He's content. Have my bird wife. We will lay beautiful eggs. And then he's like, I just feel like that's the rest of their relationship. Is he's like, so are you going to turn into a swan again? No, Daniel, you broke the curse. Oh, I I didn't realize it was a curse. I just thought you also. Oh wow, this is really. Uh, I I need to go and take a walk. I'm a Let's little go travel now. I have to travel now. I thought you were my bird wife, but apparently you're just a normal wife who were once a bird. You can't tease me like this, Odette. Uh, I wanted half bird, half human babies to hatch, but no, not now. <laughs> uh, Prince Daniel, yeah, he just cracks me up. He's uh, You can put a lot onto him because there's really not a lot going on there, which I guess maybe is the, the fun part of this movie. I do feel like there are more, like, characters. I mean, they're very one-dimensional characters, but you're like, okay, like, that's the person. And here, I could tell you what their personality is. Yeah. Because they have their one thing that they always do. But one of the, you know, characters that I love in this movie is the, like, animal children. Because they're supposed to be elves, and, you know, Barbie movies are notorious for reusing kind of the same face models. Um for various background characters. They use the same little Tommy and uh, Kelly like characters to be children. But in this film, they make them elves, which is fine. I mean, maybe they're elves that look like children, except they talk and act like grown-ups, And it's a little it's strange. A <laughs> the two main ones, there's a Russian porcupine that turns mm. into a porcupine and then wears porcupine needle clothing when he's a human. And then there's a, a skunk who's like a skunk girl with like a skunk stripe in her hair, who is, did we, did we determine she was Spanish or French? It was, a lot of these accents are kind of hard to distinguish. She does like a flamenco dance though, so. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a, it's She's a probably weird. Spanish. She's weirdly sexual. Yeah. yeah. They're like very flirty with each other and you're like, you guys so look I'm like children. children. <laughs> you are children. I'm uncomfortable. But yeah, what no. I noticed is like, I feel like in animated movies, like, whenever there's a skunk, which I guess maybe it's not that common, but they're always, like, sexualized or, like, made to be very, like, flirtatious. Like, and over the hedge, there was that whole plot line where they made the skunk look hot. And then, like, the character of Pepe Le Pew is always kind of seeking love. Um, why? Why are skunks sexy in the animated universe? I don't know. Maybe they just are really sexy, Lily, and you just have a, your clothes mind it. <laughs> Maybe that's my outfit. Sexy sucks. <laughs> Make suck. It's 2020, Lily. Please be open-minded. It's, you got to stop being so anti-skunk sexiness. I'm sorry. I apologize to all our skunk guess, listeners out I there. Something, like, I think there's supposed to be like an irony in it because skunks smell yeah. so bad, but then they're also sexy, so it's like a weird like <laughs> joke. That's not, like, really funny, but I think it's come, like, in, like, I think that was, like, kind of the humor with Pepe Le Pew, like, in the original Looney Tunes, is that he was, like, the suave, sexy skunk, but also he stunk, and then he also sexually harassed a cat, which was weird, but. Also, know. yes, in Over the Hedge, a skunk and a cat have a romance. Okay, I, cats and skunks get together all the time. It's That's not just a fact of nature. I forgot Over the Hedge existed until you brought it up just now. I have never been able to forget Over the Hedge, okay? It's a classic road trip film in my family, so I I know it inside and out very well. It's burned into my eyes. I see it when I go to sleep. (laughs) 
you cannot forget. Well, that wraps things up on Barbie of Swan Lake. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on the 90s stars making their comeback, Daniel and Odette's early marriage, and Sexy Skunks for the win. Make sure to follow us on your choice of podcast hosting platforms on our Anchor FM page. For any questions, comments, or Barbie movie insights you think we should or should have covered in this or any other episode, email us at girlsliveyoupod at gmail.com, girlsliveyoupod, P-O-D, at gmail.com, or leave us a voice message on our Anchor FM page. Remember, humans are such fools. I know. I'm so hilarious. You're freaking hilarious. You're hilarious. Yeah, okay, well, don't put this in because we sound like crazy people. <laughs> oh, definitely put this in. It's fabulous. <laughs>